Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Vito. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. And uh, today we are coming at you with some uh, repeated energy and repeated energy and repeated energy. <laughs> we are, of course, talking about Live, Die, Repeat. I'm sorry, Edge of Tomorrow. It's confusing to know what this movie is called. But more importantly, we are not joined by Jesse this evening. Um, we wish him well wherever he is. I heard he's skiing off the slopes of, uh, of the Alps. Did you guys hear that, or did he tell me just a lie? I think that he's searching for the lost Shackleton ship. I think that, that that's what happened, because that got found. Mm. So maybe that's where he was. <laughs> I, I thought he was like, diving with sharks, something with sharks. I wasn't sure. Uh, you see, you, when Jesse starts talking about diving or sharks, I also kind of like, you know, nod off. I'm not really listening. He just has such a jet-setting lifestyle. Um, <laughs> but uh, we are here and we are not your father's movies and we are here to cover the third, right? Is this the third one? Yeah. Of our time loop romances. Uh, we've already done groundhog day and about time. Um, and edge of tomorrow is, is next up. I think this might be a little bit of a surprising pick specifically talking about time loop romances that we're talking edge of tomorrow, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we'll get into it. We'll, we'll figure it out. Um, I guess uh, let's before we dive into our, our movie discussion, we like to kind of talk about what we've been doing, what we've been watching with our families, what our kids have been watching, just sort of what's up, Mike. I believe. What's you- up? There it is. <laughs> <laughs> no provocation uh, necessary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have to ask. Um, well, Dan, maybe you want to tell us what's up with you. Yeah. Um, what's up? We with my kids. We've. Uh, We've been doing a lot of audiobooks lately, actually. My wife is really good about finding interesting audiobooks for my kids to to listen to. And I know it's not movie, but it's kind of, you know, they're on YouTube and they have a picture on them while it's playing. So it's still media. Um, but they've been listening to the um, Little House on the Prairie books on audiobook. Oh, and it was actually funny. We were just road tripping and... We were listening to it and I was like, the the voice of this narrator sounds so familiar and I was trying to place it and it was like 30 minutes of me just trying to like visualize who this person was that was speaking and I was like, I think this is the lady on signs, like the- the, Oh, Cherry uh, Jones? Yeah, Cherry Jones and I had no idea her name. It was just like, that's that's the image of like this lady talking to Mel Gibson that popped into my head. And like, it was a total long shot and my wife looked it up and sure enough, it was Cherry Jones narrating this book. And nice. um, yeah, so that was kind of a cool thing I discovered. She's a great voice, like a really gorgeous, uh, very cultured kind of voice, you know, There's a lot of feeling in it. I love her voice. Yeah, it's very warm. It kind of has almost like a slight Southern drawl to it, which is really pleasant to listen to. Yeah, but other than that, we're... Um, my wife is rewatching The Paradise, uh, which is a it's a romance uh, period piece series. Very, very good. I, we watched it together a couple years ago, and my wife's rewatching it with my sister, and it's it's really good. I yeah, I'm I actually of all the period piece romances that I've watched in my life, I think it's probably one of my favorites. It's a uh, yeah, it's pretty solid. The acting's great. The writing's good. Yeah, it's a really good story. Well, what's it about? I've never even heard of this. 
it uh it's placed during like the industrial revolution in england um it's about a kind of a like a lower like poverty level lady who gets a job at a uh dress shop like it's not in london but it's some some bigger city in in england and um it's about her kind of obviously she falls in love with the shop owner and there's this all this drama and you know it's there's love triangles right and left and everything so it's very much a romance and you know yeah typically not a movie that is meant for you know directed for men to watch but i i enjoy stuff like that i i grew up with a whole bunch of older sisters so i'm used to watching you know jane austen type things so yeah i i enjoyed it i definitely recommend it for anyone out there that's kind of into that kind of period piece dra- dramas like that. That's awesome. Uh, do, do you know where it can be seen easily? I think it's on Netflix, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, oh cool. Yeah, That's it's awesome. called the, the Paradise. Definitely recommend it. It's just two two seasons, like six episodes, but each episode's pretty long. Uh, yeah, it's very good. Awesome. I'm adding it to the list. That that sounds something that, like I, I'd really enjoy that. Mike, what have you been up to? What's up? <laughs> if you insist. <laughs> well, um, it, so this week, what is up is I started watching the new Kanye documentary. Uh, mm. I went on a trip on a plane and I realized I didn't have anything downloaded on my phone. And so I downloaded the first thing I saw and it was a genius, a Kanye trilogy. And uh, the first episode got downloaded. So I started watching that. And it is very interesting as a work of art or content or whatever you want to call it. Um, Yeah, I'm not very far into it. I got through like half of the first hour and a half long episodes. So it's like a good six hour long documentary sort of following his rise to fame and where he is now um and it's made by a guy who is i guess is a close friend of kanye at this point uh at the time when he started creating this documentary back in 2000 or something like that he had been a uh, basically like a tv show host for a public access um channel in chicago and then he quit all that to make a documentary about kanye and he's been doing it for 20 years. So this is the outcome of that. But it's really interesting to see the uh, the beginnings of, of his career. There's a good like 10 minutes of it is spent with him in. Um, gosh, I can't remember the name of the. I don't know. He, he's trying to get. He, so he's a producer and he's taken seriously as a producer. Uh, as we all know, he started as a producer, but um, he's trying to make his own album. And he's just kind of walking around the uh, this. Um, Neighborhood? No. Studio? Not a studio, but they publish, like a publisher for music. What are those places called? A music publishing house? Sure. It's not that. (laughs) But he's like just just playing it for all of like the secretaries. He's like, hey, listen to this. And he puts it on and starts like rapping to them. It's really weird and awkward and definitely (laughs) feels like Kanye. (laughs) Um, It's it's really interesting. I'm really excited to finish it um, because it's just. Very interesting. 
So that that's what's up. That's what's up for me today. Nice. That's cool. Me? What? What's up? <laughs> I actually have been wanting to watch that that Kanye documentary. Um, my, my wife is not very interested in Kanye. Uh, I'm the only one in my house that really is into him and has been into him for a really long time. Uh, I remember when uh, Graduation came out. Your Sorry, kids Dan, aren't really into Kanye yet. Well, I mean, they don't know it's Kanye, but uh, they're kind of into him. <laughs> <laughs> Why uh, they I'm, like trying, I'm, I'm trying to raise him right, you know. Uh, but uh, been into a couple things. I've actually started watching some TV after a long time away. Uh, recently just finished season one of The Boys. And I've tried this show before in the past, and I couldn't really get past the first episode. I think I was just in a really bad mood. And seeing the very tra- like shocking, traumatic death that occurs in the opening minutes of the first episode was... It was a little too much for me at the time. I don't know why, um, but I finished the first seasons now, and it's been a long time since I've been into a show, and I'm really into this show, and I'm really enjoying where it's going. I, I guess I'm just in the pitch-perfect mood to kind of hate on things all superhero um, that are too <laughs> generic, <laughs> and this show is very not generic. It's really bloody and gross and funny and mean, and that is exactly my mood, to, like kind of my hostile mood towards the superhero complex that we have now. So I feel like this is the perfect time for me to jump on on board with the show, especially as the third season's coming soon. I've been watching that and then trying to catch up on Best Picture, um, just Oscar nominations in general, which is, I got to say, I don't want to step on our Oscar episode this year, but at least last year, I liked every Best Picture nomination and I'm really having a hard time this year. <laughs> I'm having a really hard time with these movies. Um, it's really bumming me out, actually, because... I look forward to this award show every year and I look forward to watching with these movies with my wife and sort of engaging in the general conversation around them. And boy, I'm really not into it this year. Everything I'm seeing is just like, it's either, it's either okay or I, I find it sometimes like downright bad. Um, especially like the inclusion of, of Raya and the last dragon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that, that's what I've been up to. I've been retreating to TV as the world of film has kind of let me down in recent months, which is really a bummer. This is the time of year that I'm like really most excited for is catching up on the movies I've been hearing about for freaking four months. And there's even still some movies that I have yet to see that I can't see, like The Worst Person in the World. You know, I still can't stream that. And I've been hearing about it since November. And it's like, it's driving me nuts a little bit. <laughs> um, I'm almost like, I almost don't want to see it because I've been hearing about it for so long. You know, right. It's like, I should almost just let it drop. We'll just see this some other year on accident and I'll probably like it then at this point. (laughs) There's almost no way I'll like it. Right. (laughs) The buildup is too big. Um, no movie can survive the hype. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's where I'm at. I'm doing TV because movies are bumming me out, but not this movie, this movie that we're talking about this week, edge of tomorrow, not bumming me out. I can say that. Wait, wait, wait. But before we before we jump into the movie, there's something else we've all seen recently. I think all of us have seen that is important. It's the Batman. Yes. Yes, yep. it is. And we are not going to talk about it, ladies and gentlemen. For a little while. <laughs> That's right. Because we we drop that episode, we will drop it in April when it is available for everyone to stream on HBO Max. It's coming out 45 days after its theatrical release date, so early March. It's going to come out a little bit past Easter, I think. I think it's like the Tuesday after Easter. Um, Google it if you want to know when. But the week that that movie 
you know, the week after that movie comes out on HBO Max, we will be giving you a full length episode on it. But we have all seen it. We all think various things about it. And uh, we'll have to get into it then. I don't want to. I I will say, you know, if you're thinking about a movie to go and and see in the theaters, this would be a good one to do it for. It's fun on the big screen. A lot of fun. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It was it was made for the theaters for sure. If there's one thing about it. Yeah, the sound, especially you want to go for the sound. You want to go for Robert Pattinson being like 100 feet tall. (laughs) You want to hear the sound of those bones just like snapping in your ear. Uh, Making me want to see it again, guys. Um. (laughs) But we're not saying anything about our opinions about it yet. Oh, no. No. Mm -mm. No. Good, bad, different. Who knows? You have to tune in. We'll let you know. Uh, All right. Well, wrapping up our What's Up segment, anyone else have anything else that they want to bring up? So getting into our third entry then in our time loop romances, we have Edge of Tomorrow, a.k.a. Live, Die, Repeat, because of a branding mistake that Warner Brothers went underwent. Um, but this is directed by Doug Lyman. Uh, we know him from recently. He's worked with uh, Tom Cruise again with American Made, but he's also known as the guy who did Mr. and Mrs. Smith and effectively broke up. Um, <laughs> Br- <laughs> Sorry, Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston's marriage <laughs> by casting <laughs> him and Angelina Jolie, and then uh, also known for giving us the Bourne Identity. Um, this is starring Tom Cruise, our biggest movie star, maybe ever, uh, or at least in the last 30 years or so, um, as Cage. Seems like a real missed opportunity for the studio to not just cast Nick Cage. I mean, he's right there. It's, it's <laughs> Cage, right? This is <laughs> Minimum Cage. Minimum Cage. <laughs> minimum Cage. <laughs> That's good, Dan. Saying, saying um, nothing about his height, but. <laughs> ooh, ooh, low blow. Ah. <laughs> Um, it's also starring uh, Emily Blunt as Rita, a.k.a. the Angel of Verdun, a.k.a. the full metal bitch of our hearts. Uh, Brendan Gleeson here and Bill Paxton. This is a fantastic Bill Paxton. We'll have to talk a little bit more about that. I just, wow. Also dearly departed. Um, really miss that guy. Um, this is also based on a, the book uh, All You Need Is Kill by Hiroshi Sakurazaka. Am I saying that right? Sounds Treating right. Phonetically. <laughs> Um, and now that has also been rebranded as Edge of Tomorrow or Live, Die, Repeat, as you so will. Um, so this is a weird one. And maybe I'll go first for our nostalgia and our, and our first impressions. I remember seeing this in theaters. And I re- distinctly remember that on the marquee, it said Live, Die, Repeat. And the poster in really large letters said Live, Die, Repeat. And I thought until it came out on DVD that that was the title of this film. Uh, this was Doug Lyman's title for the movie because they did not want to do all you need is kill i think probably for obvious reasons that seems like kind of a bummer for a movie you don't really want to go to the theater and just see in large words over your head all you need is kill (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like a play on all you need is love like all you need is kill kill (laughs) kill is all you need (laughs) Uh, exactly uh but Apparently it is Edge of Tomorrow. Some executive decided that that was a better idea. And then they had a really hard time marketing it. There was all this confusion over which was first. Um, And that was actually probably the most interesting thing for me upon seeing this movie was I'd never seen a movie that had such a a snafu where you couldn't even really tell people what the title was because you weren't sure. Um, You're like, it's the one with Tom Cruise and the the timey-wimey stuff. Um, But I think I saw this with you, Mike. And I think I saw this also with Let Me. Do you remember this? This sounds vaguely familiar, but I, man, it was a while ago and 
honestly, I have been looking for this movie for years, sort of not really trying hard to find it, but I've been like, remember that movie where they're in the water at the Louvre? Like, remember <laughs> that one? And there's like a time thing. I, I've been I've been wondering what it was for years and years, and and uh, now I know it's live die. No, it's Edge tomorrow? of Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> edge when of Die. When did you realize this is the movie? Like when? When did you watch it? Uh, like recently? When, when we were talking about doing it is when I when I realized. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> like oh yeah, that's this one. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's the name of that movie like i, I wasn't uh, trying really hard to find it but sure. i was like i remember this movie and i remember enjoying it more than i expected to and i don't remember what the name of it is and so i don't know how to watch it there was probably yeah. a way to figure it out but you know but i mean that would take effort and as, as dad's we sort of just like keep these things in the back of our mind as like fun little mysteries you know that we might encounter in the wild and figure out someday um <laughs> I remember, though, going to see this. It was the beginning of summer in Southern California. Uh, this was the beginning of – this is a really fun time in my life. I was pretty carefree. <laughs> I, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities. All my spare money was funneled into beer and pizza. Um, nothing really mattered except hanging out with friends. And this movie signaled the beginning of, of a fantastic summer for me. And I remember going to see it. I was I was so pumped to see it because it looked awesome. And it was awesome. Spoiler for how I'm going to talk about this movie in this in this episode. It was amazing. It kicked ass. And I remember walking out and just geeking out to people and then trying to recommend it to everyone that I knew. Um, and then having a really hard time getting people to watch it because it seemed weird to them. And I kept saying, like, no, it's like a it's like a it's Groundhog Day with aliens. And people were kind of like, oh, I don't know if I'm into that. And it's like, how could you not be into that? That's the <laughs> coolest bitch ever. What are you talking about? There's Emily Blunt's got a giant ass sword. These these aliens look like, uh, I, like lion sea urchins. Uh, you know, it's really hard to describe how they look because they're so like amorphous and tentacly, but they're also like vibrating balls of energy. Um, there's so many cool ideas in this, and and I was on fire when I walked out. I remember going out and just being like, "Hey, you know what? We have we have not lost everything to franchises, and if only I could have seen what the future looked like, <laughs> I would have celebrated this movie even more because it's <laughs> it's one of the last big ones, one of the last like huge original um, gambits, you know, only based on existing property that I don't know how many people knew about. I don't know how big a deal All You Need Is Kill is. I I had never heard of it." Um, but that's kind of like my nostalgia and my first impressions is like remembering this as a, as a younger guy, just having fun of the movies with my friends. Um, Mike might've been there. Mike might not have been, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. That, that gels with my memory too. Uh, I was young having fun. I literally just graduated from college and, uh, nothing mattered. It, it must've been during like the little period before I started working too. So like literally nothing mattered. It was great. Yeah. What about you, Dan? Do you have nostalgia for this movie? Uh, yeah, I, I saw it in theaters. Um, I was just I actually just looked up the year it came out because I'm like, I know I saw it in theaters. I'm trying to remember the part of my life that I saw it. Um, so yeah, 2014. I um, I was actually taking a movie class in college at the time, and um, it was one of the easiest classes for you know to fit the credits that I needed for my. 
associate's degree. So it was um, kind of a, a easy, you know, uh, softball toss to me. But watch some movies and talk about them. <laughs> yeah. And like it, it allowed, we watched like The Graduate and um, uh, The Odd Couple and a bunch of like kind of older classics that I had not grown up with. And I really liked that. Um, but yeah, so yeah, 2014, I, I was going to the theaters quite a bit in those years. So I, I did go see this with some buddies of mine and I didn't know what to expect. I remember the trailers being kind of, kind of vague. Like it was clear that, yeah, this is Tom Cruise and he's going to be repeating the same day, but it kind of just looked like a video game movie or, you know, something that could or could not be well done. It might just be a CGI fest. It was kind of unclear. And so I just remember we went and saw it kind of open-minded and yeah, it, it blew my mind. I was like, this is so clever and so well done. And, you know, they took, they took something that could have been a gimmick and made it really, really enjoyable. And really, you know, every, every line is, you know, correctly put in its place and every scene is, you know, well paced and it just really, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And, um, I immediately knew it was going to be a movie that I'd rewatch multiple times in my life. And that excites me anytime I see a movie that I'm like, yeah, I'm going to watch this like every few years. That's always an exciting experience. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I remember, you know, as I was talking about, it was hard for me to get people to see it. I remember as the months sort of wore on and this movie became forgotten, I had this distinct sense like I am a member of a very small hive of very enthusiastic people. <laughs> they really like this movie. <laughs> and that's always fun and a little sad too when there's something that's really great and you know it's really special and exceptional, but it's really hard to get other people in on it. But the people who have experienced it are super down. It's like, uh, I mean, this is a, a much broader case but it's like when you're in college and you see Magnolia for the first time, <laughs> like, has anyone seen Magnolia? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, I guess then, so we're all pretty positive on this movie, have some good memories. Uh, I would say then going forward, I'm definitely going to show this to my kids. Um, I'm really excited to do so too. I think it's really going to rock their worlds. It's going to be unlike anything they've ever seen. And uh, I'm going to say it's pretty intense and there's a lot of death. You know, like minute per minute, we are seeing a murder like every 10 seconds or so, like an actual murder. <laughs> uh, it just doesn't matter because it's just treated as a reset, right? Kind of like an inception. So I'm going to say probably 15 for me because that's that's just a heady concept. And unless my kids get really into shooters, which I'm not a thousand percent certain they won't be, uh, <laughs> I want them to be a little bit older. So if they're familiar with the concept of, of gaming and all that, and they can treat this like a fantasy, then maybe a little younger, but otherwise a little bit older for me. Um, what about you, Mike? Yeah, that, that, uh, that totally meshes with what I'm thinking too. I can't wait to show this to my kids. I'm hoping that it's, you know, it's a good movie night movie, right? Like this is uh you got the big screen up, you've got, lots of popcorn and, and some of their friends are over yeah and uh, we're like all right we're gonna watch we're gonna watch live die repeat <laughs> nice tonight it's just gonna blow their little minds like, oh my gosh this is amazing this is incredible what an idea if we and, still had that pitch segment the pitch would just be live die repeat what it- <laughs> <laughs> you live and you die and then you repeat it's great and there's love 
And there's and aliens. Love. <laughs> Alien. Live, love, die, repeat. That should be. <laughs> Live, die, repeat, love? Live, laugh, love. Oh, oh Live, laugh, repeat. <laughs> Live, laugh, love, die, repeat. <laughs> Ew. Oh, thank you. What about you, Dan? You going to show this to your kids? Yeah, definitely. I honestly, like, I'm probably. My kids will probably be more excited to watch Marvel movies, but I will definitely be more excited to show this to them than any Marvel movie. Like it's, it's like what you were saying, Vito, that it's totally its own thing, standalone story. It's a self-contained thing. There's no prequels or sequels. It's just, uh, you know, well-made movie. And yeah, I definitely, I would say more like maybe 13 or 14. I say that, but the deaths definitely are, they're not just like, they're almost more, I don't know, more intense than even in Inception. Like every time, this is what my wife pointed out to me. She's like, every time that Tom Cruise dies in this, you feel it. It's like, you see him like scream right before it, or he screams right as he's like waking up the next day. And it's, it is kind of intense. And so it's definitely not as like sugar-coated as in Groundhog Day when you know he jumps off the building but you don't actually see him land or you don't see him you know like wake up in terror like that would yeah. be much more difficult or intense so th- this movie is definitely more yeah a little it's a little more intense but i think if um yeah if my kids show a certain level of um being able to handle that s- sort of stuff or that you know level of intensity i'd say 13 or 14 for sure Nice. Um, before we move on, I have to say, sidebar, um, what is your favorite Tom Cruise death? Because <laughs> there are so Whoa. many. <laughs> yeah. You're on I, the spot. The one, the one that f- pops in my head when you ask that is when he's like crawling away and she's like, no, your leg's broken. He's like, no, no, I'm fine. <laughs> Just because it's like, it's so like sad and and tragic and you're like i would be like that's how i would feel is <laughs> he'd be like no 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 i'm fine don't don't do it because he like it's not just the it's not just experiencing death it means that he has to experience like how many hours of you know like redoing the day like it's it's a whole mental slog of you know probably a good 12 hours or something to get back to the point where he can continue his training so like yeah it's just it's pretty comedic and sad and and yeah it makes me laugh every time <laughs> i, really I think my death. favorite is is when he rolls under the uh <laughs> <laughs> the truck. And the, the guys are watching and you see the yeah. truck like a- <laughs> the look on bill paxton's face he's just like what in the world <laughs> yeah yeah the same thing i mean like you really it really drives home just like what difficult ordeal it would be to go through this this day day after because he wakes up with with a drill sergeant in his face man like you gotta yeah yeah you gotta you gotta deal with all of that before you can even like get to a place like all right i'm gonna do this next i i love it i i love i love that one too i love both of those um i also just like the ones where um when he when he's starts to groundhog day this right where he starts to like try and save people and he try he saves that one guy who's naked in his mech suit <laughs> and then he gets squashed too 
<laughs> I love that great. little that little montage where he's like trying to fix this, but he just it doesn't work. You know, he cannot actually Groundhog Day this. He actually needs to focus on like he's not going to get out of this by just being good or saving everyone. It's just literally not possible. Yeah, um, if you're going to die, you're going to die. <laughs> um, all right. Well, sidebar ended. Awesome. Well, maybe we can move into some of our favorite scenes then now that we got some of the deaths out of the way. Uh, Dan, what is your favorite scene from this movie? Yeah, I I actually had a hard time thinking about this because I like there wasn't a scene that immediately popped out to me. I enjoy kind of every scene almost equally, to be honest. Like I, I just enjoy the movie altogether. I'd say if I was hard pressed, I really I really dig the scene with Emily Blunt where they're in the it's like a shed or or some sort of like wooden shed. And it's kind of, it's, it's the furthest you see them where they're looking for the keys to the helicopter. And Tom Cruise is kind of like acting like he doesn't know where the keys are because he doesn't want to see her die again. And it's just kind of, it's a slower part of the movie, but it's kind of, I think it's the most, the most strong scene you have of them kind of, with their chemistry and the fact that Tom Cruise has really fallen head over heels for her. And it's just very sweet the way he's like kind of doting on her and taking care of her. And yeah, it really, I think it shows their chemistry very well. And I, even though it's like a slower part and maybe not the most obvious one that's like, you know, exciting or, you know, the rest of the movie is very exciting. So I, I I kind of like the fact that it kind of slows down the pace at like the, beginning of the third act I think would be where that scene lands and it's yeah it's just a scene I really like and I think the movie and their relationship wouldn't be the same without that scene yeah I I totally agree especially because like you know this is Doug Lyman right he's he's really good at setting up um romantic situations with two characters who are always under like immediate physical threat <laughs> Right. With like Mr. and Mrs. Smith or Born Identity, he's really good at at having the slower scene in the midst of conflict. And I think this one is done really well. I, I also really like this scene because it's the first time that the movie lies to you um, before you've been seeing everything as you believe in real time from Tom Cruise's perspective. And this is the first time where the movie kind of doesn't do that. And so you're assuming this is the first time they've been here, but you get the reveal along with Emily Blunt that this is, in fact, many times that she's been here. And this is like one of the fun things as the movie goes along is that it doesn't, it, it unsettles you because you think you know where it's going to be and what it's going to be doing, but then it, it, it surprises you. Um, just when you get to like settled into a groove and you're like, okay, well, they're going to try this thing. They're going to come back and they're going to do it again. And like, no, actually this has been like the hundredth time. <laughs> and you go, Oh, interesting. Okay. He knew and about I, the I think, three sugars, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Creepy, Should- creepy. <laughs> <laughs> It always it always is fun to me to imagine like how did he discover that piece of you know personal truth about the person like did he just ask them one time like how many sugars do you prefer in your coffee <laughs> like, or did she tell him in some other I, I don't know it's those little details that he knows that you're like that means that at some point he discovered that through some other means and it, it's a little more interesting when he knows all the stuff about his squad the J squad because like. You don't see him interact with them very much, but it means that there's all these other timelines where he, you know, 
I don't know if pry is the right word. Maybe he did, but that he, you know, that he discovered. bonded with them. Yeah. He, he discovered these different things about them and, and it, you know, it's kind of cool that there's an unspoken, you know, thousands of other timelines or uh, time loops that you never, you never see, but you're kind of hinted at. Yeah. It feels like a, a video game where we didn't get to see all the side quests, you know, like this is a, <laughs> this is a fallout game. <laughs> we only saw the main quest. <laughs> what do you think that, of that? That's like, like one of the really smart things about time loop movies is like, they're able to create these, I, I don't know. I, I think this is true of all time loop movies, but it, it works really well here is that is you're able to create these like in like deep characters without doing a ton of work there to, to show it and drag it out over a long period of time. You don't have to see him actually develop the relationships, but by just, by just showing him like mentioning something that's very specific about someone you'd only find out through a lot of time together. I, that, that resonates so much and it like it it builds a lot of um care for context the yeah yeah a lot of context and and so like when we get to the you know the final crisis or whatever like we we care about these characters in a way that's kind of remarkable considering how little screen time some of them have had and how little of the stories we've actually seen because you know tom cruise is our our is us in the movie and so like we know he cares about these people because he's mentioned these things I think that's cool. That's like a really cool little. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that's a, that's a big strength of this movie. Um, how about you, Mike? What, what's your favorite scene? I think that the, uh, I feel the same way as Dan. Like there's lots of stuff in here. That's hard to pick like, Oh, the best scene or something. But I think the, the scene that stuck out the most to me was, uh, was just like, wow, what is happening here is when I think it's when he's on the beach the first time and he gets in the little like sand dune trench thing with all of his all of his guys um, with the J company or J J squad. squad J squad and he has no idea what is going on and then all of a sudden a uh, one of the mimics is it the mimic well there's the big mimic there's the big one. And the that's alpha. like how it ends. But the, the yeah, the alpha. Right. But the, the little one comes up. He's like hiding in there and then he comes up and like starts whipping around like that was just crazy. And he whips. He's throwing everybody around and somehow Tom Cruise survives. And then we get to see the big alpha. And that is just so cool. And uh, it was visually stunning. And it struck me again this time around. Just uh, how cool, how cool it was, how much fun it was, because Tom Cruise has no idea what he's doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, he can't even get the safety off for, for but forever. he does like it's going through all the different languages. He's in like Japanese at some point. He's like, what is happening? <laughs> love that. I, I yeah. love that when you first see those mimics, right? Is the, the it's so easy for us to d distinguish which one is like more dangerous because not only because of size, but like blue orange. It's like, oh, easy. There's a bunch <laughs> of orange ones. Not as big a deal as one blue one. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Orange is it's angry. like a video game. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. It, it tells you exactly order of importance. And But we know, though, that orange mix can still, you know, mess up an entire squad of troops. Um, Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. Actually, that dovetails into my, my favorite one, too, which is the uh, when Tom Cruise finally figures out that he's got to get out of the plane and he hits the eject button and we get that beautiful one shot down from the plane as he's freaking out and having a panic attack in real time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I never thought that I would see Tom Cruise exhibit 
such real human emotions in a role. I am not used to seeing that from him. You know, usually he's, he's, as the movies say, you know, the embodiment of luck himself, you know, as Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible, or he is um, playing wild and wacky in Magnolia and Tropic Thunder, or he's just like a cool, suave guy, you know? But actually freaking out Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise is kind of craven and cowardly, who <laughs> can't figure out how to do anything and is bad at everything. That was really cool. And I remember even as a, even watching it in the theater being like, that's interesting. Like, good for you, dude. Good for you. That's, that's what you've always needed. You've always needed to feel more vulnerable because you're so good looking and charismatic. The number one thing you should do is downplay both of those. <laughs> he, um, yeah, he's, he's one of those actors. I've heard rumors. I don't know if it's true that he has something in his contract that he can't die or his character can't die. Um, obviously, in this movie, he dies all the time, but he's not really dying. Um, or in a movie like Oblivion where, you know, he's dying, but he's not dying. It's, so I, I think I've heard it said. I don't know if it's a conspiracy theory, but that it's in Tom Cruise's contract that his character is not allowed to, you know, die halfway through and be out right. of the story. So it it kind of I agree with that that seeing him in a very almost embarrassing character yeah in in the first half of the movie is very yeah refreshing and kind of it makes you appreciate when he's a a badass in the second half you know yeah it, it's a believable arc and it's really fun to see because it almost feels like when you start out and he's so cowardly your world's a little off kilter and then he sort of brings it back to what you would expect and that feels nice um but of course he does fulfill what is in his contract is he must be seen running in every movie that he's in and he does run a lot <laughs> and he looks great running. <laughs> There's Tom Cruise just, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, okay. I did have a question, uh, before we get into some of our other questions and it's been bothering me. So our movie begins and Tom Cruise walks in. Well, we see the news flash and we see how the aliens have come down and things are bad for planet Earth. And we are on the last offensive and we're going to be taken down. And we are introduced to the Queen of Verdun, Angel of Verdun, sorry. And we're being thrown into the sci-fi world and we're, we're absorbing it very quickly. And then we open on Brendan Gleeson talking to the cameras. Then he goes back to his office and summons in Tom Cruise. Why does Brendan Gleeson have it out so hard for Tom Cruise? Like he guns for him at a, like to an insane amount. Like this is almost harassment. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the whole movie is predicated upon the fact that he strips Tom Cruise of his rank, shanghais him and sends him to the front. Why? I don't understand why. Have you ever met a PR guy? I mean, I hate them, but like this takes an excessive amount of, of effort to do. And when the world is like hanging in the balance, I don't think I'd have time or even the desire to screw over a fellow human being. So I, I think, so yeah, he's a PR guy, right? And I, I think what Brendan Gleeson is originally asking him to do before he, you know, before Tom Cruise tries to blackmail him and he, he sends him to the front um, as a soldier, I think he's actually asking him to get footage that will make him look less bad or like, cause he said he, he opens up by saying like, everybody's going to want to fall guy. Even if we win this thing, like everyone's going to want an answer for all the bodies that build up. And so I think he's actually asking Tom Cruise to go to the front of the line to like shoot footage that will look favorable 
on vindicate him somehow. Yeah. I, I think he's actually asking him for like a favor and Tom Cruise, you know, is he doesn't realize how much of a coward Tom Cruise is. And, um, and so the moment that he shows, you know, that he, Tom Cruise thinks he's totally above this or, you know, he's trying to wriggle out of it. I think that's when he turns totally against him and is like, yeah, you're, you're done. Like I'm sending you to the front for, you know, to die. That's how I understood it though, is that he, he originally was asking him basically for a favor that could get him killed, but you know, essentially was not, was not just to screw him originally. I see. Yeah. Maybe I need to, to rewatch that opening again. Cause I just remember watching it this time. Cause it's been, it's been several years since I've revisited this and just being really confused. I mean, like, <laughs> like it almost seems like Doug Lyman or whoever the screenwriter was, uh, was having trouble opening the movie, right? Like it's always hard when you, when you have a, a post-apocalyptic sort of movie, cause you have to, you always have to do opening credits are over newsreel and newspaper. Right. And then you have to do something interesting with that. And it's super boring and no one really likes it, but we have to do it so that everyone's just not lost. And then like, we have to introduce the fact that this guy's a coward. We can't just have him waking up like blank slate. And so we got to have something in, in the middle, um, in, in the beginning. Um, it just, it just struck me as a little clumsy this time in a way that I hadn't remembered. And I, I was actually a little shocked that it got off so rocky. Um, especially cause that footage of Brendan Gleeson in the opening credits at that press conference looks like shit. <laughs> it looks really bad. Um, did anyone else feel that way or was I the only one that got yanked out? Yeah, no. Uh, I mean like it's, I, I think you're right, Dan. And, uh, like he's, well, he says something about like, Oh, you've made me the face of the war. And so like, they're going to be looking for a fall guy and I'm the natural fall guys. So I need you to go to the front to do this. And then Tucker is like, no, thank you. And like, you don't command me. And then Brendan Gleeson drops the hammer and says, no, I do command you. Your general gave you to me. And that's when Tom Cruise threatened. So like Brendan Gleeson's like, he's trying to make sure that the, like Tom Cruise is like the PR face of the, of the war. And Brendan Gleeson is the actual face of the war. And he wants to make sure that this guy, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's clunky. But like, who cares? It's fun. Yeah, I mean, it's enough to make you forget, right? As soon yeah. as the movie goes, this is your first time watching, right? But yeah. this is, you know, it's not my first time. So I'm, I'm being needlessly nitpicky just because it's fun, you know? Yeah. I'm on this podcast. I can nitpick if I want to. I have yeah. to do what Jesse would usually do. Let's pick some nits. <laughs> hey, I got another nit to pick. Why the hell is this called Edge of Tomorrow? What does that mean? Uh, I was thinking about this when you texted that earlier, and I think it's because it's not quite ever tomorrow and it's not really today. And it's kind of, you're stuck in this like little shadow zone. I'm not saying that's a good explanation, but I feel like that's the explanation that someone that gets paid a lot of money came up with because they didn't like the title live, die, repeat. Like if I was a guy trying to come up with an alternate title, that's what I'd say is that he's living in like a little twilight zone between today and tomorrow. That's actually a really good explanation. Oh, that your face would, would have told me that you hated that. <laughs> I mean, I do hate it, but mostly because I didn't come up with it myself. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I, I also think whenever it comes to movies, like when you have the words kill or die in the title, I think people get kind of scared, um, especially trying to sell it. You know, this is a big summer blockbuster and it's going to have die in the title. And the only way die is allowed, I feel like, 
as if it's no time to die because you're specifically saying there's no dying happening here. <laughs> and it kind of reassures huh, people, you know, <laughs> like, oh, okay. I thought he was going to die and I wasn't going to see it because I didn't want to see that, but I understand. <laughs> um, but Edge of Tomorrow, I think is a, is a terrible title. I think it's awful. I, I, so part of the reason why I've never been quite sure about what the name of it or what this movie was is because I've always confused it with Sky Captain in the world of tomorrow. And uh, I thought for a while that there must have been a sequel when people would talk about Edge of Tomorrow to Sky Captain in the world of tomorrow or mm-hmm. a prequel or something that I just never noticed. So the name has annoyed me for, you know, like eight years or however long it's been. Yeah, it, it's annoyed me too, just because I think that other title, I mean, you look at the poster, it looks fantastic. It tells you what the movie's about, and it's intriguing, and it's cool sounding, and it's easy to tell your friends and remember. Why wouldn't you like that title? And that was Doug Lyman's like, argument. It's like, no, the title sells the movie. What are you talking about? Edge of Tomorrow? Like, one of the big reasons maybe that Oblivion isn't well-remembered in movie culture is because it's called Oblivion? Mm-hmm. It's what are you going to do with that title? It only works if it's associated with Skyrim. (laughs) (laughs) Is this an Elder Scroll? No, then I don't want it. Um, That's the nerdiest reference I've made today. (laughs) Sorry. It's just an Elder Scroll. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a Junior Scroll. (laughs) Um, It is. It is hard for me to to understand some of these choices, but I know they also do these. uh, What do they call them? Focus groups where they, you know put people of every generation into a room and they'll they'll ask them questions and i'm like i could see edge of tomorrow being more you know appealing to people it kind of it sounds exciting it doesn't sound like anything and yeah it's a very generic sounding title so i could see it going well in focus groups live die repeat you know you might miss you might miss out on some of the older generations possibly or something but yeah, I think it was probably a money move, and I, I agree. Live, die, repeat would be much more easy to remember, and everybody would know exactly what you're talking about if somebody said that title. You know, it's a really terrible title, though, to a sequel to a movie officially titled Edge of Tomorrow is Live, Die, Repeat, Repeat, which is the title of the possibly in-development sequel that's been in development for like eight years. <laughs> Live, Die, Repeat, Repeat. <laughs> Is one of the worst things I've ever heard. <laughs> like that's gotta so the be a first joke. Movie, Edge of Tomorrow. Second movie, Live, Die, Repeat, Repeat. What? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. It's and it's it, it's the working title. I don't I don't think it's going to get off the ground. They've been trying for too long. To live, to die, to repeat. There we go. <laughs> that it comes that out re- on on two two <laughs> two. I don't know. <laughs> I am surprised we don't have more sequels. 2022. You'd think we'd have like a hundred sequels. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's specifically because of mission impossible. Um, I think that Tom Cruise, you know, I would imagine that when he signs on to do a movie, he signs on to do anything that would come after it. And also would sign on to have like some kind of creative control. And after like, post 2014, he's just mission impossible guy. He's mission impossible guy. And then top gun two guy. That's it. Maybe he just doesn't want to try and launch another franchise, especially after like Jack Reacher, his other franchise that he tried to launch just crashed and burned and is now an Amazon show. <laughs> mm, yeah. um, a, lot, a lot of these, I think, are wrapped up in stars and their egos. Uh, oh, I had a thought and now it's gone. Uh, okay. Does that answer your question, Mike? 
Yeah, you know, surprisingly well. I thought that we'd just be sitting around being like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, great, good job, guys. The normal response to questions. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, uh, what do you think? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we have a movie podcast. So we can do. We have any know. other questions? <laughs> do we have any other questions? I, Man, do you have a question. I do, I do, and when I thought of this question, I didn't realize that there was an alternate ending to the movie. Um, I just found out that in like the last hour, but my, my original question was about the ending. And when I was watching this for the first time and, you know, Tom Cruise is, he drops the grenades into the the mouth of the, what do you call it? The, the, the Omega brain, the Omega. Yeah. The Omega brain alien thing. And, you know, it explodes. I honestly thought that that was going to be like roll credits or maybe show some like gener- generic footage of, all, you know, everybody celebrating or maybe show J squad celebrating. I, uh, I, I didn't expect it to throw us back again and have that happy of an ending, you know, that he actually gets to live out his life. Possibly at least it seems to be that way with, with Emily Blunt um, which is a very, very happy ending. And so my question is like, would the movie be a different movie or how would it affect the movie if it did have a sad ending? Like he dies or what is the alternate ending, Dan? So the alternate ending is actually, um, even darker. It's that they're in the helicopter and, um, or in the, in the plane with J squad flying into, you know, to the Louvre to, you know, attack the Omega finally. And Tom Cruise's character tells J squad not to kill an alpha. He says like, make sure like you're killing all these aliens. Don't kill an alpha. Cause then that will reset the day. And the Omega will know that we're coming for them. And then they land and they start killing aliens. And it does one of these like, one of the one of the J squad gets separated from the rest of the pack and he sees Alpha and it's about to kill him and he just can't help himself. He ends up killing the Alpha and then it immediately jumps to them back in the plane. Tom Cruise telling them don't kill an Alpha and then their plane just gets blown up. And that was the end of the movie, <laughs> which is, shit. is so dark. It basically would what? be like, yeah, the aliens win. They could re- <laughs> they won because J Squad couldn't keep it together, and you know, um, yeah, very you ever, very. Have seen someone roll up one hundred and eighty seven million dollars in a ball and light it on fire? Because that's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Is that, is so that how angry? I like. Is that if, how the maybe, story ends? I think like the, the, maybe that was when it was in, back when it was a Black Mirror episode. I don't know if that was. <laughs> That was the ending for that, but I, I'm curious to know what the ending in the book is in the novel. Um, I should have looked that up, but that that would be something of interest to see if you know which ending is closer to the to the actual uh, source material. But yeah, so I guess I guess my question, you know, keeping to the the actual movie and the actual ending they give us. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry, Dan. Continue. Sorry. Oh, did you find the ending to the book? Or I did, yeah. Uh, but I, I'm very um, curious. Okay, so basically, so this is 
it gets all the way to the 160th loop. They destroy the antenna. This is already very different from the movie. It basically comes down to Rita and Tom Cruise having to fight each other because both of them are actually acting as an antenna for the mimics. And one of them has to die before they kill the heart of everything, the nexus. Otherwise, the loop will continue indefinitely. So they fight each other. And Tom Cruise's character kills Rita and stays by her side as she dies. And before she he, she does, he confesses his love for her. He slaughters everyone else, destroys the Nexus. Weeks later, he's hailed as a new hero of the United Defense Forces while he silently reflects on what transpired and the sacrifices needed for them to win the battle. He paints his exoskeleton blue in honor of her memory. This is from the Wikipedia summary for All You Need Is Kill. Um, so real dark. Oh my yeah, both of those are real dark. How? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, spoiler alert for uh, Edge of Tomorrow and All You Need Is Kill. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Uh, You're welcome. As always, That's post emptive. <laughs> uh, I would, I would prefer that ending to the original novel than to the one where um, everything is meaningless and nothing matters. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I, I'm just confused. I'm honestly still confused about the ending. Like, I am too. I am too. I'm not sure why destroying the Omega takes him back to earlier. And it doesn't also, make any sense to me. Like, like it, it just doesn't, it's not clear. I kind of like, I, I spent like a couple seconds being like, this doesn't make any sense. And I was like, you know what? Who cares? And that's what I did with the movie. But like, we're sitting here, we're on a podcast talking about a movie. I don't get it. Do, do you, do you get it, Dan? Yeah, I I agree that if you think about it too much, it doesn't make sense because what we've been told in the movie is that it resets the day like 24 hours. And when he when they actually kill the Omega, it's much further than 24 hours. Even, you know, if you really think about it, he shouldn't be waking up at the exact same moment. Anyways, like the, the fact that he wakes up in the exact same moment it should be 24 hours from when he dies it would seem um so the yeah the logic i think of the universe that they show us doesn't really line up and that's partly why it's a question in my mind of like they were definitely trying to make the happiest ending possible by yeah. making the ending the way it is and they kind of to to the point of like we don't care if it doesn't make sense we want them to be happy, you know, in in the happiest way possible. And and I don't know that that's a bad choice. I I definitely like the feeling that it gives me when, you know, he walks up and Emily Blunt's character is there and she's like, you know, what do you want? Well, I have egg on my face. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he like, you know, he's like crying in in joy. It's it's a very like happy ending and I, I love it. But would we would we feel differently about the movie or would would it be a different movie with a different ending and like what does that say about us as an audience like do we need something this happy in a rom you know in a in an action romance time loop movie like is this the ending that we need as an audience or is it just you know did they just want to make make it more pleasing to the audiences I feel like when you enter into a time loop, right? We talked about this with Groundhog Day, is that 
something that's really appealing about these movies is that they do reflect so much of our regular life and they reflect the mundanity of everything that we go through. And the number one thing that we all as people want to know, period, is that we matter and the things that we do matter. And that, I mean, it's been going around on Twitter and Reddit and everything is a joke, right? You know, main character syndrome. We want to feel like the main characters of our story. We want to feel like we are impacting the world around us in in whatever way we want to impact it, um, that we have that power. And what time loop movies do is they show us that everything actually does revolve around us. We are the most important person that is here. And it is up to us to fix things. And that power fantasy is so engaging that it's almost like the idea of ending it badly, like that you messed up. Is I almost think would be traumatizing to an audience because they they in, would internalize that message being, oh, does this reflect my reality? Like, is this really what's going to happen to me? Do I actually not? Am I actually not the main character? <laughs> like, do my actions not really control my fate? Um, which I think would be would I mean it, it would be damaging to me as a teenager if I kind of came across that idea at the wrong time. Um, it would kind of like minimize the 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 feelings I would have about myself. Yeah. Almost like a, like a negative fatalism, like, well, it doesn't matter even if you spend, you know, a million times reliving the same day, trying to do the right thing at the end of the, that million days in a row, it didn't matter or you still died and you still didn't get the woman you loved. <laughs> um, that that yeah. would be, oh yeah, I, I think you're right. That that would be traumatic or very, very depressing. For, uh, and, and like for sadistic of a creator, right? Like it's it's just so mean. <laughs> like, what's your point? Why are, are you so depressed? You have to ruin my day too. <laughs> I, I have to say, if the movie had ended with like a reset and then blowing up, like I would be talking about this movie every day of my life. I'd be like, that movie was fucking <laughs> crazy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like who does that? That's insane. What does it mean? We're all faded and nothing matters. Wow. What a what a thing for a summer blockbuster to say. <laughs> what an easy to explain concept. <laughs> yeah. Um I, I I yeah, I I dig that kind of thing. I would dig it in this movie. Not really though, Mike. You don't really Oh, I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't. I've got main character syndrome for sure. Um, and I want to think that everything matters, but like eh, I I'd, I'd, I'd be into it. But I, I think that's I, I think that if it had ended with just like a fade out after he blows up the Omega, I think that that is a happy ending. And I'm I'm not sure why they wanted to make it happier like that. I, I, think, I think I think they're trying to close the time loop, right? Like they're trying they're trying to, to show that finally on the final cycle, it worked. Right. And if if you don't do that, you leave that ending a little bit more ambiguous then we don't know Tom Cruise's fate. We don't know Emily, like, is Emily Blunt still dead? Like, is, 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 does any of this matter? Like, like, is everyone dead, but they won the war? And I think that that final showing is showing you like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. The good guys survived and the bad guys died. It's fine. It, it, as you were saying that, it kind of made me think of, right, the ending of Inception, that that's, that's kind of what we're talking about, that if it had ended ambiguously that it wouldn't have been as pleasing to audiences but like 
what was everybody talking about when Inception came out? It was what is weather- everyone still talking about, man? What do I <laughs> yeah. dream about? <laughs> <laughs> what am I still asking myself every day? It's- I saw it wiggle a little bit, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like, so maybe that was Christopher Nolan being a little more gutsy with his ending. and um, But it seems to have paid off. Like, people... People loved talking about that ending. And so, yeah, I think I think they could have ended it with something ambiguous, something a little bit like bittersweet, right? Like, oh, he, he was a coward in the beginning. And in the end, he sacrifices himself. And he and Emily Blunt had a lot of great times together, but they ended up sacrificing themselves for the, the betterment of m- mankind. And I think that could have been the ending. It would have been sadder, but it would have also had you know a a satisfaction to it it would have felt like like the ending of a war movie you know and i think that probably would have been i mean i I hope that you guys are not saying that taking what i'm saying is is being like no i like this ending i really don't like this ending very much and i would have preferred what we're kind of talking about something a little bit more final sacrificial because this is actually a question that i had is that did cage actually leave the time loop is this better or because if if the alpha blood does the time loop thing to you which let's move past it um not question that uh what does the omega blood do to you because it, it clearly got all over him and is is that kind of like the the ace up their sleeve that they're hiding for like the second movie like, did he, did he actually, again, referencing Inception, because we, we simply must, um, is he like down one level of time loopery? <laughs> like, <laughs> is, is he in an alternate dimension also in a time? Like, I, it, it's so strange and dreamlike, the ending, that it seems like a joke. But then they never say it's a joke, and then the movie is just over. And so you're kind of like, either that's completely sincere and clumsy, or something else is happening that I don't know about. It reminds me of, have you seen uh, when Rick and Morty did a time loop? where Morty lives his entire <laughs> life and like falls in love with the woman of his dreams and they have like kids and he, he lives his entire life. And then like somebody finds the button and accidentally pushes it like on his deathbed and <laughs> resets everything. It almost makes me think of that. Like maybe Tom Cruise doesn't even know himself whether he's still in the time loop, but he's just now he doesn't have, you know, an alien invasion to definitely kill him every day. And maybe he is going to, yeah, come to the end of his life and be like, am I going to reset or is this it? Um, yeah. Cause like, cause if the alphas have that power, right. And we were led to believe that, I guess that the way they described it is like the aliens power is they can repeat the day as many times as they want until they win, which is why they win so good. Um, I guess that, I guess, I mean, now it's getting, going to get really confusing. You talk about like real time tactics, but like, if that's the alpha power, what's the omega power? Why yeah. is it so important? I, I, guys, I think that they made the ending this way because they wanted to leave it open for a sequel, but they also wanted to close it if there wasn't going to be one. That's, this, that's what I really think. I, I think I agree. I just, it's just weird. And it yeah. bugs me every time I watch the movie because I can't ever completely finish the movie with an absolute feeling of satisfaction. I always finish it like 85% satisfaction and 15% like, but, but why? (laughs) But why? I I actually feel, I I feel like this ending is more ambiguous than if he had, you know, if it had ended with the, the explosion, then we get like a montage of like, everything's better now. And and right. 
uh, generic role credits sort of thing. I bet, um, but it's, I think this the cool thing about this ending, though, if we think about it like that, is that it's only ambiguous if you think about it. If you don't yeah. think about it and you just watch it, you, this this will never cross your mind, right? Yeah. It's I only when you, it did, when you nerd out. <laughs> it did not cross my mind the first time watching it. I think it was like second or third that it crossed my mind that there are questions that have been unanswered and um because yeah it's the idea is that the alpha's blood makes you a part of the nervous system of the aliens right so it is the omega that has the ability to reset time but he does it every time that you know one of his nerves gets killed or one of the alphas gets killed off and so yeah i mean maybe maybe tom cruise is the next time lord or you know maybe he's <laughs> the next uh the next omega that has the ability to reset time i guess anytime he you know hurts his Jesus. finger or, yeah. yeah i don't know i don't know he one of his nerve endings gets gets killed off i don't know i would be really boring if i had that ability for like 10 years because i'd use all that time just to watch movies <laughs> i wouldn't do anything else <laughs> well so I actually think that this is what makes this movie a, uh, a a time loop romance, right? The fact that he wakes up at the end, right? Like if he didn't, then this would be a time loop war movie and there'd be like some romantic shades to it. But I, I think that's also maybe a part of it is like, this is a romance. This is a, this is kind of a rom-com with war and aliens and it's really fun. It murders the number one joke. Yeah, and murder's the number one joke. It's great. Um, uh, what do you... So, I mean, I don't know if there's a lot more value to talking about this, but the question that I was thinking about was um, whether or not there was... Whether the relationship, the romantic aspect of Cage and Reed's relationship, whether that adds or detracts from the movie or does it matter? Is it kind of indifferent? I, I have to say, before before getting into the answer, I... Um, you said murder is the main joke. I, I have to say my, my grandmother-in-law has this joke. She always says that's hilarious. She always, she always goes, you know, I'm, I'm Catholic. So I've never, I've never considered divorcing your grandfather, but murder at least twice a day. <laughs> <laughs> the foundation to every long lasting romantic relationship is just the idea of murder. <laughs> Amazing. That's incredible. That's a really good joke. Um, I, I I was thinking about this. I had never thought to uh, question, I guess, the relationship because the movie's founded on the fact that we need we need the two of them to do this, right? And in fact, the reason that we doing are doing this whole series is the fact that it's very uh, integral to many time travel time loop movies to have a romance because it's the easiest kind of thing you can give to somebody to a character to make them keep going, right? Um, the the ongoing pursuit of someone that you're interested in. And it's interesting the way it's treated here. So in Groundhog Day, he's treating it as if it's like, uh, he's just got to get all the right answers, right? Um, and in a lot of ways, about time is too, is about trying to get the right answers and do it correctly because he's, he's such a, a kind of a clumsy, nervous guy. Um, doesn't have a lot of confidence. 
And it's through repeated, the same repeated interactions, he feels like he can get it right. And this one, that's completely sidelined, right? They have something that they need to do. And this is sort of happening organically on the side. Like as Tom Cruise becomes less craven and more cool um, and more skilled, you know, he starts earning Emily Blunt's respect and eventual affection. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's cheap. I do think that this movie doesn't work very well without that because you need an A, you need an A plot and a B plot, right? You need something for everyone to do, and then you need a reason for them to do it. And a really good reason for Tom Cruise to do this, besides getting out of the time loop, is to pursue Rita now that he is attractive to Rita because now he's not a bumbling liar. <laughs> um, so I think I think the movie I think it's necessary for the movie, and I think it would have been even more necessary if we stuck with the novel's original ending as we're seeing, because then it's the ending of the relationship means the end of the war, which is brilliant. I don't know why they changed that. That's awesome. Um, that would push this thing up like five levels. Um, but as it is, I, I don't know if I'd say it's cheap. I think it's necessary. I have a hard time. This is a personal confession. I have a hard time watching Tom Cruise flirt with women. He doesn't seem very good at it. He seems like he's just handsome, like really handsome and very charismatic. But like he doesn't have the chemistry that Bill Murray has with people. He doesn't have the chemistry that Donald Gleason has um, this easy sort of back and forth. Everything with him seems really strained and kind of forced, except in the one scene when he's quiet and talking to Rita, right? That actually felt for a moment like he was being a human being. And I just have a hard time with that with Tom Cruise. That's why I love him in like Mission Impossible because he doesn't have to be a human being. You know, he's an actual superhero. <laughs> uh, but in stuff, even like I'm going to get some flack, especially from Sir for this, but and Jerry Maguire, I have a really hard time seeing him and Renee Zellweger together. <laughs> it just, it does not work for me. Uh, I have a hard time with him as a romantic lead. He's just a little off-putting. Uh, what do you guys think? Do you guys buy him? I've never really. Yeah, I mean. I, I, yeah. Go, go ahead, Mike. <laughs> I knew we were going to talk at the same time. <laughs> I know. I was like, uh, I, uh, yeah, I don't think he's much of a romantic lead either. I mean, he um, he gives off a sense of being primarily about himself. Which is, uh, um, I don't know, that's not what romantic partners. Yeah, I I think he's definitely not endearing in his like. I, I, it's it's hard for me to. I feel like I need to ask my wife whether he is or not. <laughs> like I, I my wife like, is very turned off. My wife is very turned off by Tom Cruise. Okay, not interested in him, like. Will even go so far as to say she's not quite sure he's handsome. Oh wow! Uh, okay, yeah, because because he's just he's so like mechanical. Like like if if he cut himself, he would he would take a minute for his 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 robot brain to send the fake blood to the cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I can see that he's he's a bit like. Yeah, he I can see the roboticness of, of his actions and like the way he. I, but at the same time, he's very likable. I, I always like to see him on the screen. I've, I've never like disliked a character he played. He's, you know, he's not, he does have a range, but I feel like he's always playing within that range. Um, and I, I like, you know, Ethan Hunt is a very enjoyable character to watch. He's very Hell much yeah. similar in this movie to, to, to that character um, in a lot of ways. And yeah, it's, it's hard for me to say one way or the other, as far as like his 
his flirting game or his uh how <laughs> how well he he you know yeah and and I think the movie does kind of gloss over a lot of like the, the going back to the scene where they're driving in the van for you know and it's probably like you know the hundredth time they've done that and he he like asks her what her middle name is and it's assumed that they have had a lot of deep conversations before and it's kind of like assumed that they've connected a lot before and so i think the movie kind of maybe intentionally glosses over a lot of that like initial flirtatious period um Mm -hmm. and you know it could be it could be for the betterment of tom cruise's performance and um i mean i i bought their relationship um i don't know why i don't know if i could really speak why you know exactly why i bought it but it it did you know it did make me root for them and it did make me want to see him to see them together in the end and uh the moments where he thinks that she's dead or that um you know they're in peril it does make me want to see them together at the end of the movie so yeah no i I think that's that's well i think it's well said and i think that that ties into just the last little thing i wanted to talk about too is is could somebody else have done this that that arc from cowardly to brave, right? From awful to to pretty great. Um, that is a big arc to go through, right? And Tom Cruise has this innate ability because he's so good looking, right? Or at least we are told so, and I thus believe, um, despite what my wife says, even though <laughs> she would probably know better than me. Um, I don't hate him in the beginning because he's so handsome and likable even though i am looking down on him a little bit and i was trying to picture like somebody else doing this so i was thinking like okay chris pine well i feel like i would never trust him after i saw him be so so cowardly in the beginning i feel like i don't think i could ever trust him again like he's either a good guy or a bad guy he's no there's no in between with chris pine um i was like okay well chris pratt like well i wouldn't buy that chris pratt i'm sorry chris i wouldn't buy that he would be smart enough to do this (laughs) to try and blackmail a general (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, what about what about Chris Evans? You got to cover all the Chris's. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to cover the Chris's. I think Evans could do it. I think Evans could sell that because we've seen him be bad. And I think he could convince us that he's changed. Um, Hemsworth, I don't think he can do much. Um, <laughs> just going to move past Hemsworth. Uh, but I was just trying to think, like, is there is there anyone else? Like, is, is, is this a is this a role that Will Smith could have stepped into? Is this a role that, like, you could see, like, Michael B. Jordan doing? Uh, could you see, um, gosh, I don't know, anyone? Like, what do you guys think? The person that came to mind immediately for me was Ethan Hawke. Um, oh. He's kind of like a knockoff Tom Cruise in a lot of ways. I mean, even thinking about, like, I'm thinking about Tom Cruise's flirting and he kind of has like this childish, like when he flirts, he kind of is like a child, mm-hmm. right? Ethan Hawke is exactly the same way. Like in the before trilogy, which is all about flirting. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like kind of a kid, you know, like, Hey, is this, he's boyish. He's yeah, got this he's boyish, boyish energy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think he could have done it. He's not as good looking as Tom Cruise. Uh, I might've liked that more. Yeah. But then he doesn't pull off the PR role as well. I don't know. I mean, in 2014, Ethan Hawke, what, I mean, he ain't ugly. (laughs) Yeah. You know who could probably do this is Ewan McGregor. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I, like, in in Fargo, he played such a, like, kind of detestable, cowardly character, and it was so convincing. And then, obviously, Obi-Wan Kenobi, like, he can do a hero, and he can do, you know, someone totally likable. Um, I feel like he could have done this role pretty well. Yeah. I actually think that both of those are better. Um, and I think that both of them could have had real chemistry with Emily Blunt. Um, yeah, I, I would like those movies a lot more. <laughs> what about Nicolas Cage? <laughs> Let's ask the question. You had to ask. All these mimics! <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> uh, no. Absolutely not. Just one word I, although, answer. Although him as a Brendan Gleeson's role, I would rather have had him in Brendan Gleeson's role. That would have been something. Yeah, I feel like he doesn't need to be here. Or no, in Bill Paxton's role. I love yeah. Bill Paxton and those are perfect line readings, but it's just because Bill Paxton is like channeling the most maniacal energy. <laughs> and I think Nick Cage would have really done that really well. Yeah. Yeah, that, that would have been a lot. That would have been a lot of Nick Cage done that. In the fire crucible. <laughs> You'd be able to get out that Alabama acting again. <laughs> Dust it off. We've been missing it. <laughs> Maybe he's worked on it again and now it's gone full circle from being too hard to being easygoing. Who knows? Um, okay, uh, d- does that... I, I feel like I didn't, I didn't... We didn't answer your question about the, the romantic ties mike did did you want to explore that anymore yeah no i think you did i mean i i think i agree like i don't think that you can have this without some sort of romance and i, I think we talked about is what we've been talking about is like the end of the movie is really what makes it extremely romantic right like an actual ro- romance movie um as weird as that is to be applied to this movie in a certain way but like i think that what is true of time loop romances in general as far as we've seen so far is that it's focused on the inevitability of love um which i think is is at the core of why we really do want to see them back together again and why we're fine with shrugging off the uh illogic of the end is because like i think everyone wants to believe that love is sated and whether or not it is that that's what we want that that there is an inevitable pull of one to the other and uh, that is, uh, that's just interesting. That's really interesting to me that that they had to do that at the end of this movie. I, I find it uh, interesting to think about. I don't know if I have much more than that. Um, the inevitability of love. I think you found the title of your autobiography. <laughs> that's what I think. Yeah. I think well said, actually. Um, I mean, we, we're always circling around these because it's like, look, maybe in the in our final episode next week, um, which will be on Palm Springs, by the way, everyone. Uh, we're doing Palm Springs. Uh, maybe we could actually play like um, time loop romance bingo. and <laughs> Just like what is actually in common amongst all four of these movies, because they are all incredibly similar. And each time I watch one, I am again struck by how much DNA these very disparate movies share, whether it's like these, these, this very strange 
different rom-coms, but then this one that's like a sci-fi war movie too. And then About Time, which is like a coming of age story and Groundhog Day, just like about a misanthrope not being one. And Palm Springs about two people who aren't in love and then fall in love and then fall out of love over and over and over again. <laughs> um, yeah, well, 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 let's let's do that. A random detail I just realized is that Rita is the name of, you know, Emily Blunt in this in this movie and then also in Groundhog Day. Her name's Rita. Weird. Whoa. I didn't even yeah. think about that till now. I just I just IMDB wow. it because I was like, wait, am I confusing? You guys said Rita a couple times and I was like, that is the name we are talking about in Groundhog Day. And <laughs> yeah, I'm, it, it might be a little like, you know, Easter egg. Maybe. I mean, it has to be. It, yeah, yeah, it has to be. Well, yeah. that's her name in the book. Yeah. So in the book, I mean, I guess, yeah, okay, yeah. I yeah, mean, definitely. Yeah. Oh, in, in the cool. Japanese novel? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Her name is the same. In the, in the light novel. Um, all right, well, uh, next week we'll be doing uh, Palm Springs, and we'll be wrapping up all of our discussion on time loops and romances and our thoughts about all of them and any other little details we wanted to mention. Um, but for now I have to ask, uh, Dan, is this a dad movie? I think it's definitely a dad movie. It's definitely a movie I'm going to watch with my kids. It's definitely a movie. I hope that they remember me and remember that dad loved this movie. Um, yeah, I would say definitely a dad movie. What about you, Mike? Dad movie? Oh Yeah. Yeah, this is a dad movie. Um, it's fun to watch. I would turn this on any day. And uh, I want my kids to watch it. I want to watch it with them. Um, as they get older, obviously. Um, and, like, it's got some surprisingly deep parts to it. Like, I, I went into this movie. I expected absolutely nothing. I got a lot. I got a lot out of it. And that's really cool. I really like that. What a movie surprises me um and and it's well made right like it's it's yeah. not it's not like it's just a popcorn flick it, it really is well paced well written well developed the characters are in, you know interesting it's just a well-made movie well-made action movie there's not a yeah. whole lot of those out there yeah yeah i'm like okay so con air is the best action movie ever made <laughs> <laughs> but that's also really just a popcorn movie this this is a popcorn movie with some heart, with some blood and guts. It's got guts, you know, a lot of them. Yeah, it actually has something to say about the stuff that's happening on the screen, right? Yeah. And Con Air is great, and it's a perfect popcorn movie because it's not about anything. It's not about anything at all. Yeah. It's it's the movie is over, and you can take out of it what you want. It's not a lot there, uh, but this this is something. You know, this is uh, maybe this is like a hamburger. You know, it's not popcorn. It's a hamburger. Like yeah. it's it's meaty and juicy and fun, even if the, the nutritional content is uh, varies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a good fast food burger. Yeah, yeah, which is definitely dead. Yes, absolutely. I, I think we are all agreed. And I actually think that if Jesse were here, he would probably agree too. I know he was he was very excited for this one. Um, so I think I think it's a four way dad movie. Then yeah, yeah. yeah it's and if re- Jesse doesn't like that, he can tell us. <laughs> And it's rewatchable too. I feel like that's something I'm appreciating more and more in movies is if they're rewatchable. And and this one definitely one that I'll 
I'll probably watch again in like the next three or four years, you know? Oh yeah. I actually look forward to showing this to people, you know, I don't know um, who that would be, but if future friends haven't seen this and is like, Oh, Hey, let's come on, watch that. It's, it's badass. The, the bit where Tom Cruise is running around in a circle, shooting that one mimic in the middle of the J squad. And after they had just like, according to them, it's like the first time you'd ever been in one. <laughs> it's like a badass moment. It's awesome. Um, it's, it's a real pleasing, real pleasing time. Awesome. Well, from all of us at Not Your Father's Movies, I'm Vito. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. Good night.